Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Ah, but, and now, joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 183 is composer for games and TV and other things. It's uh, Perth's own Kevin Penkin. Welcome to Sound of Play, Kevin. Hi, Leon. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Uh, I think people will be familiar if they are perhaps if they're fans of the uh, very popular and well-regarded anime made in abyss this is true this is true yeah an award-winning soundtrack uh yes well yes it was it was a good day <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a there's a very lovely uh sort of documentary uh well, it's a it's a brief documentary video a uh, music of abyss on youtube which uh, shows you at work effectively conducting uh, the uh, the the ensemble with your pieces Yes. And there's a charming bit which they've left in there where you're speaking to one of your collaborators, uh, where you 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 speak in the Australian parlance. You say, uh, oh, "It's all right. I've discussed it with a mate or something like that." Yes. And he, and he goes like, "With a what?" <laughs> yes. Uh, that was uh, that was memed a little bit as well, which is always good. Um, yeah. So the thing about that video is, uh, I I don't like watching it back because. Uh, when I look at how I was conducting, it kind of looks like I'm sort of an octopus trying to sort Aww. of work its way through a uh, through a piece of music without. I thought actually it looked masterful, knowing... but yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. But I, I, I've <laughs> definitely become slightly more uh, rigid in in uh, my conducting style since then. Which uh, seems to... <laughs> but hey, I mean, the results thankfully worked out either way. So you know. Yeah, it it was it was a good time. I've got to say, I, I don't know the show. Um, I'm not a big anime guy. I love the start. I love the look of the art. I gather the the main artist is uh, the artist also provided uh, assets for uh, Ellie Bits or LEDs, the 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 Wii game many years ago. Um, so there there is a sort of gaming connection there. But I got to say, the music sounds absolutely sublime. And uh, and I, I was looking up the show on IMDb, and it's got like an eight point five rating from from people who who register a, a score. So it's obviously a a well-loved show and um i guess that's kind of it's one of your main main things at the moment is it yeah i mean uh very very fortunate to be able to be part of that um and obviously i don't think i i don't i can't speak for any other person but if you if it turns out you are making something that does have an impact on people's lives uh you know, and I don't mean to say that in a sort of grandiose sort of way. I just mean no, that in sure. sense that obviously, yes, it was well received and very, very happy about that, but had no clue that it was going to sort of happen at the time. So uh, the pressure uh, was actually pretty minimal when actually writing because awesome. I was just trying to write kind of whatever I wanted to that I thought it would fit. And yeah, and then somehow just managed to, uh, yeah, head to Vienna to record with the most ridiculous level of musician it was yeah. really really good it was insane you can hear um, you can yeah hear yeah, good those, yeah. Those um are. well the person you were you were talking about bef uh, before who yeah. sort of um caught me out of my australianisms <laughs> um that's um 
Dimitri Levici, he um he is the uh, sort of concert master of the um chamber string group that I was using. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, and um yeah, he's an absolute boss. Like he is a hardcore guy and one of the nicest, most generous people as well. So to work with him, not just on Abyss now, but on some things that are unannounced. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Pretty, pretty lucky. Just happy to, just happy to have someone who's, who's um, keen enough to be on a project that makes me sound better than I actually am. Oh, well, yes. too modest. But does he view you as some kind of wunderkind? You are like, 26 years old now? I am currently 26, yes. And uh, you've been doing this since you were in your teens, pretty much, give or take. Yeah, yeah. I think my, uh, yeah, I started slightly early, but, uh, and I know that, uh, well, uh, as you've uh, sort of asked me to provide for today's radio show, I've provided, uh, I think, four or five personal sort of uh, tracks that Mm. I've written over the years. And yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to sort of take a slightly awkward at least for me, awkward trip down memory lane and sort of start with sort of the first video game music that I ever actually wrote for a project and to see basically, yeah, it's it's basically me trying to figure out how much uh, I have changed in style and right. approach uh, over yeah. the years. So, yeah, so, well, that brings us to the piece we heard to bring us uh, into this Sound of Play was the main title from Defender's Quest, Valley of the Forgotten, back in 2012, when you would have been a mere 20-year-old or something like that? Uh, Potentially. It was 2010. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. My mistake. But, well, I wrote it in 2010. Sure. I have no idea. I think the when... game was 2012. Yeah, it, it yeah. came out in 2012. Yes, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So that's when your work went public, as it were, although I think you'd done some short films and, and some other stuff in the meantime, but this was... This was your first big gaming, and and I guess it's the first thing people hear when they boot up the game. It's the main title? Of course, yeah. And, um, you know, it's strange because, again, very similar to Maiden Abyss in the sense that I had no idea what Defender's Quest would be. Right. And the fact that it's a game that came out in 2012, which is still going today, Yes. And still being released now uh, on other platforms and in other territories. Mm. Um, and the team are still just really, really cool people. So, yeah, it's it's really, really strange that there's just been a, sort of a handful of events that have sort of worked out. Because, you know, I also kind of appreciate the fact that there are a lot of situations for a lot of people that don't work out. So, yes. yeah, I'm, I guess just take what you can while, while you can, if I'm... Hopefully not being too cynical about it. No, I don't think so. So when you, how did you get that first gaming gig? How did that pan out? Was it a phone call to you or did you pitch your work to them? Or Oh, God. Okay. So I remember there, there's a website called congregate.com. Yes, that's and, right. Yes. And uh, during, during 2010, maybe 2009 as well, there were times where you could upload music um composers could upload original music and uh the community could vote on it uh and whoever was the most popular that week sort of you know i don't know if you actually got anything for being the most popular upvoted track or song of that particular week just some attention maybe yeah it's just a bit of attention and uh and you know composers they love attention um (laughs) anyway um the producer for Defender's Quest worked at Congregate and he um, ended up 
basically uh, contacting me because he liked the style that um, I was sort of uploading a lot of my tracks in, uh, which is a very sort of heavy JRPG influence, especially at the time. Yeah. And uh, as a result, he was saying, look, we're going to do this game and uh, we think you might be a really good fit for it. So if you're keen, let me know. And yes, I was. And thus Defender's Quest was born. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a fine, a fine fanfare to open the show. Uh, but as you've already said, we're also going to hear from some of the pieces that I guess were from games that you played growing up and uh, yeah, and that inspired you. I guess you already had some, some musical leanings as, as a youngster otherwise, or was it simply a case of you heard this next piece that we're going to hear and you went, I want to make music? <laughs> um, so I literally have no skill. Except, like, I can write music and I can cook steak really good. So okay. I can cook a good steak. But um, I remember, because I, it was probably always going to be music in some way, but um, the moment that I heard this next track, which is Fendrana Drifts, uh, which is from the GameCube game Metroid Prime, uh, I knew that this was the route that I wanted to take right. in terms of career. I mean, I wouldn't think of it, I didn't definitely didn't think of it as a job at the time, but mm. it was more like I really 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 want to do what this composer or this team of composers is doing for me and for this game right now. And I want to do that forever. Beautiful. Uh well, we we have played this track before, but it's never a chore to hear it again. Uh this is the much loved and inspirational Fendrana Drifts by Kenji Yamamoto and or Kochi Kuma.
always a treat from Metroid Prime, the original. Uh, that's a series that we still haven't covered on the Cane and Rinse podcast, the Metroid series in general, or the Prime series. But uh, obviously yeah. our intention is to someday. And there is still the rumour and the hope that the Metroid Prime trilogy may arrive in some form on the Switch in higher definition still, um, because the the Wii compilation, the trilogy, is very nice indeed, and you can play it on the Wii U with uh, Wiimote and Nunchuck, and that's great. But the sort of standard def assets are just starting to show their age a little bit, as wonderful as those games are still. So there is this hope that uh, as Nintendo is doing a lot of this uh, kind of up-resing and re-releasing for their most popular format for some time, uh, uh, a Metroid Prime trilogy for Switch seems to be a kind of no-brainer, but um, if they can if they can work out the controls and that sort of thing, so fingers yeah. crossed. I didn't know that. That's great. I really yeah. hope that happens. It's a rumor, but uh, it's a strong one that keeps resurfacing. But that may be just people wishing hard for it. That's all right. So this next piece, I'm curious about because so this as i understand it it's not a game i'm familiar with i can't pronounce the title i know that the, i guess the first yes. bit is norn 9 yes norn uh, 9 norn 9 <laughs> and um, it was a psp game but then there was an, a sort of plus version for the vita yes um so uh norn 9 the reason i wanted to put this in is it was the first uh sort of it was actually technically the second game that I uh, did with a uh, Japanese company and yeah. in collaboration with Nobu Uematsu, who's wow. also uh, another influencer of mine, of course. Amazing. Very, of course, I think an inspiration to many, myself yes. very much included in that. So the reason I wanted to put this track from the soundtrack in is because I think it's the first time that I... Well, when I was listening back and, and trying to figure out what I wanted to show on this radio show today, the reason that this track spoke to me is not only about the fact that it is a, a Japanese video game in collaboration with uh, Nobuo Uematsu, but I can sort of hear how a lot of the uh, Japanese composers I listened to growing up were very heavily and very explicitly influencing me in, um, in these sort of earlier tracks. Yeah. Um, especially sort of the string writing of Yoko Kanno, for example. Um, so I think what would be, I've, I thought it would be interesting just to have a chat about that and then mm. see sort of how hopefully things are slowly sort of moving in, in a direction where if there is a young composer listening to this right now, basically, that it's okay to basically sound like the people you aspire to be like, especially right. early on. And yeah. hopefully at some point you're, you're just sort of trying to distill that down into something that could be considered, you know, mm. just your personality as a musician. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good point. And presumably without this influence and this early work in your career that was with a Japanese label, uh, you wouldn't necessarily have ended up getting the fantastic anime scoring work that you've got today. Uh, I think it's it's a succession of um, sort of little bits of good luck. <laughs> and sure. um, I know that, uh, I mean, I've always been very passionate about Japan. Uh, still am, of course. Mm. And uh, to to work in a in a medium or you know a couple of mediums actually, where uh, not only do uh, sort of my passions for for those mediums run very high, but at the same time uh, allow me to sort of kind of just experiment a little bit and actually try and and and, and figure out what I want to say as well. 
So yeah, video games and anime are pretty awesome. <laughs> so for the listeners and for me, what's the? I've only got the title of this non-nine track in in kanji or kata. kata I think it's a, yeah, it looks like kanji. Uh, what what's it actually called? <laughs> Sunset. So it's called Sunset. Let's hear it from Non Nine. That's a game by Automate or Automate, I assume. Uh, Idea Factory. Uh, it never yes. came out in the West. I don't think that particular game or series. If you go searching for it, you get links to Amazon Japan and uh, and, yes. and various other places. There doesn't seem to be a lot written in the West about the Norn Nine games. It's that there's so much stuff that we just like. We think we get because we get so much more of the Japanese stuff these days in the West, in America and UK, Australia as well. Um, but if, yeah. there's still lots that we don't. Well, if it's okay to talk about that point for a second. Of course. Um, because you're absolutely right. Um, the West sort of don't get everything that Japan gets. And for a, a very basic example, yes, Norn 9, the game, uh, was one of them. But um, what was really, really strange uh, is that Norn 9 actually became an anime after... Uh, the game so it was it was an oh, okay. anime based on a game and it just so happened that the first anime company that i was working with were the company commissioned or the company that licensed the norn 9 series and so while we were working on a different project it just so happened that they were working on an anime version of norn 9 and that actually was how i got that job as well so there's a norn 9 anime that i did the music for based on the game that I did the music for, but how that came about was sort of the weirdest sort of set of chances. That's that's really cool. It's quite bizarre, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, these things happen. Um, 
Yeah. So we mentioned uh, Nobuo Uematsu, of course, who gets normally gets at least one mention per show. And at the moment, because we know he's been struggling with some illness. So we always want to wish him well and uh, hope that uh, he comes comes back fighting fit and isn't ready to retire just yet. I don't think any of us are ready for that to happen. Um this is going to be a piece from the uh, the movie, CG movie. So we covered, uh, Kane and Rince listeners will know, we're covering the entire Final Fantasy series, or at least the main numbered entries, not the MMOs and not all the spin-offs, because you have to draw a line somewhere. Um, it's quite an undertaking as it is. We covered Final Fantasy VII. We finished our last year of podcast with it. So that was issue 350. Uh, and we did briefly talk about Advent Children. Um, I don't think there were too many fans among the team of the movie as such, although we all can concede that it was it was very exciting back in 2005 to see those beloved characters in kind of high rent, uh, expensive looking CG. And if nothing else, there was the reason to to watch Advent Children to was to listen to it, if you know what I mean, because uh, because of the score. Yes. And you've picked The Promised Land. Uh, why is it this uh, particular uh, piece from the Advent Children's soundtrack stands out? I mean, it is a, it is a striking piece. Yes, well, um, I can guarantee you that you've probably already had One Winged Angel quite a few times on this show. Only um, once, but yes. <laughs> oh, great. Well, we were surprised when, when it happened, but yes. Well, even though Advent One Winged Angel, which is sort of the rock arrangement of that orchestral tune, is mm. an absolute banger, to be frank. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I chose Promised Land is uh, not only do I think voice is probably one of the strongest instruments out there, um, but I just think it's a, just a genuinely well-written track. I just, that's it. I, I, I think the voicing sounds great. The voice leading sounds really, uh, really convincing, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word. Um, I think uh it, the recording sounds very good um and i think uh what it does in terms of emotional and thematic impact especially in the context of the movie uh i think works pretty much bang on point like it, it, I, I think it's a great track
Promised Land from the Advent Children. Final Fantasy VII film, Uematsu, of course. So can I ask Kevin, uh, my guest Kevin Penkin, composer, uh, is do you like the film of Advent Children? This is not a loaded question. I'm, I'm only interested no, no, in your no. genuine answers. No, uh, no, no, we're good. Um, <laughs> right, so the thing about watching old movies that you watched as a kid if you haven't watched them in a long time you hold a certain nostalgia to them absolutely in in your head and whether your memories of that show are accurate or not uh it almost doesn't really matter because you just remember how you felt watching it at, 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 at the time and i remember watching it at the time and thinking this is like the coolest thing ever this is so so cool um i am I would be curious. It would probably take at least half a bottle of wine, but I think I would be really curious to sit down and watch it again yeah. and see how I feel about it. I would probably watch it with friends. I don't know if I would watch it, if I could watch it again by myself, but, mm. um, you know, let's, let's see what happens. I'll, I'll, uh, if we ever do this again, I'll let you know. Cool. <laughs> and so on a similar tip, how are you feeling about the remake of the game? Um, cautious optimism. Okay. Yeah. I think um, that's reasonable. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, they've got a really good blueprint to work off. So if they're just literally upgrading a couple of things, uh, I, I have to admit, I haven't been following the uh, the production, if there has been any sort of public record on that. Uh, a little. It, it looks fairly substantial. They're saying it's going to be released episodically. I don't know if they're sticking with that model. But uh, from from what they have shown, it looks pretty lavish and ambitious yeah i look uh i think if they are not going to betray the source material in a way that makes it feel disingenuous yeah then i i i can't really see how they would really mess this up but you know also i love the phrase hold my beer so um we'll, we'll see we'll see so you'd have been only five years old when Final Fantasy VII came out. So I assume you came to it a little later. It might have been a bit much for a five-year-old. I came through it through the music. Um, right. I'm, I remember, actually, I think it would have, I would have been seeing a trailer for Advent Children and I would have heard One Winged Angel, which was used in the trailer and said, oh, I really like that piece of music oh. and then uh, tracked down that piece of music. That's how I discovered Uematsu originally as a right. fan. And then um, that's how I discovered Final Fantasy as well, because I was always a Nintendo boy. Sure. And uh, yeah, there's a slight age difference between us in that I was, uh, <clears throat> I was 25 when Final Fantasy VII came out. So oh, well, uh, okay. we'll draw a veil over that. <laughs> <laughs> this sure. next piece uh, is from a game by Rayark, the people who brought you uh, Voez and Demo. And uh, there's... Uh, Another, uh, well, there's a few interesting things that you want to tell us about. This is uh, it's one of yours. It's called Fight Another Day. So, and this is uh, this is a recent piece. Uh, this version of Citus, the game, came out earlier this year. Is that right? Uh, this is true. Um, so, uh, this particular track was written, I believe, 2017. Mm-hmm. But then I did do some follow-up tracks for the same series in a sort of a. Uh, a DLC package uh, last year as well. Probably, actually, yeah, pretty much like a year to a year ago to today, mm. <laughs> something like that. Uh, but this particular track uh, was written in 2017, and uh, the reason I wanted to talk about it 
First off, uh, it actually has my sister singing, which as just sort of a very proud brother, uh, yeah. I, I, I really wanted Sweet. to put that in. Yeah, and is she older or younger sister? She's a, a younger sister, five years my junior. So, right. yeah, and she's just moved. Well, at the time, she was about to move over, over to uh, Brighton from Perth, Western. That's Australia. where so, I am. Yeah, yeah, great. So, um, yeah, she uh, she um, has been developing um, really, really incredibly, especially her voice over the last so. What's the name we should be looking out for? Yes, Catherine Penkin or Catherine. Penkin. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, Cat. But um, okay, yeah, no, just very, very proud brother, and uh, I'm looking forward to working with my sister again on quite a few tracks actually for for future projects that haven't been announced. That's really um, cool. The other point I wanted to make about this track mm. is that this was the first time that I completely relinquished production control, um, yeah, control of the music production rather to someone else and there was a very specific reason behind this because each track needed to have a very very different flavor and i very quickly felt that i I would rather work with someone who who had that sort of style in their dna so for example uh this was uh one of five tracks written at the time I would uh, collaborate with um dubstep producers or edm producers um people who now I'm very happy to call friends. And this particular track is produced by a very lovely gentleman by the name of Andy Tunstall. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Andy's a really, really amazing producer and really good guitarist, as you'll hear. And it was interesting because the cynical side of me says, yeah, that's cool. I just get to do half the work. But at the, at, if we're being perfectly honest, it doesn't really stop when you... When you finish the actual no. composition, you've got to actually sort of mother it through and, and you know, sort of be, be sort of a more, more of a record producer sort of hat, uh, if that makes sense. Trapped in a world of mystery, the shadows are all closing in and I can't breathe, escaping possibility.
Next up, we have a piece from a soundtrack which is often featured when we have composer guests because uh, the admiration is such for Coyotoni's work on Shadow of the Colossus. And obviously it's now been heard by, I was going to say by three generations of people. Well, that's not quite right. On three generations of console anyway, um, because the soundtrack came back without too much alteration other than being, I think, remastered for the last, uh, the most recent version of Shadow of the Colossus, the PS4 Bluepoint version from uh, last year. Uh, this is the farthest land i've got a guest cat as we're talking this is not even my cat this is a cat that's just wandered in off the street hello cat hello cat hello um sorry about that uh yes so uh the farthest land i think is a i'm not sure if we featured this piece before but why is it this particular tune that you've uh selected for us is was this one particularly influential on on you on you as a composer well i think when it comes to this particular track uh, I think it encapsulates a lot of what Shadow of the Colossus is about. Um, because even though there are a lot of incredibly large-scale tracks, uh, and they are great for obvious reasons, and even though there are, you know, the main theme, for example, probably also encapsulates sort of the spirit of, well, what I think is the spirit of Shadow of the Colossus, mm. um, just as much, if not maybe more because it's the main theme who knows but Mm. the reason that this track sort of speaks to me is that at least in the soundtrack order you've had a quite a substantial amount of either scary ambient big bombastic yeah or sort of yeah main theme sort of tracks and then i think it's about probably about two-thirds through you get this this track here Mm. and it's the perfect sort of intermission it it, it it it's perfectly written uh for when you've already been on sort of, pardon the uh, sort of the uh, the cliche but when you've kind of been on that sort of musical adventure for mm-hmm. a long time and you mm. need that sort of and i don't mean this in any um sort of blase sort of way but you need that sort of palate cleanser that emotional mm. palate cleanser and so the father's land for me not only is it incredibly emotional, but in a different way than the rest of the soundtrack or the majority of the soundtrack up until that point, it also uh, uses uh, a different set of instruments. So it textually is changing things up compared to what the majority of the soundtrack has been up until that point, which has been orchestra, um, I, I think, yeah, some uh, a flute, and uh, choir, obviously. I mean, I'm sort of generalizing here. And all of a sudden, you get a bozorki, mm. and you get like a sort of a almost like a pan flute, I guess. Um, and that's sort of the main feature. And then it, the the actual song itself is very folksy in nature, which you don't really get too much of um, up until that point. Mm. So, what I think this track does really well accents the juxtaposition not only in the game in terms of how you are something small and something versing something big but it just shows how diverse the world is and how how it can surprise you how shadow of the glasses can always just find a way to surprise you and that's why i think it's been released on three generations to be honest because Somehow, even though we only fight 16 bosses, we're mm-hmm. okay doing that over basically years on multiple generations, and we're just cool with it looking better and maybe sounding a little better. Mm. So 
I think that's pretty interesting because even though it's technically only a visual upgrade, yeah, we we still want to play it again. Why? Because I think it gave us an experience and it and it took us on that sort of ride in a way that not many other games do. Kotani's Farthest Land from Shadow of the Colossus, whichever version you like. Originally 2005, of course. Yeah. I'm joined today by my guest, Kevin Penkin, composer, originally from Australia, now currently residing in the UK, I believe. Correct. You're, in, you're on London time, same as I, me. I am in Brixton, actually. Yes. Right. So South London is a fun place to live. 
Yes. Yep. Uh, hectic life in London. Uh, what was the the reason for the relocation? Was it business or personal or a bit of both? So um, I moved over in 2013 because I ended up uh, doing a master's over here, actually. So right. I did my um, undergraduate degree in Western Australia at a place called Whopper, which mm-hmm. is um, not only the, the name for a very, very delicious burger, mm. but um, it is the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Right. So um, I did a, uh, a composing and uh, music technology degree, bachelor's degree over there. And then I did a uh, composition for screen masters at the Royal College of Music over here. I was lucky enough to uh, to get in there. Wow! And so that was sort of where I could start honing in some a lot of technical skills as well, which I sort of attribute any sort of like successful recording session to at this point. So you do uh, have skills. Yeah. <laughs> um, recording sessions have become easier. Yes. Um, yeah. And you do orchestration, which some of the composers we have on don't do their own orchestration. Some of them have experts to do it for them, but you do everything? Yeah, I have some feelings on this. <laughs> okay. Um, Please. I, I have a really, really, uh, I have a good composer friend of mine, and we were talking about orchestration because he wasn't an orchestrator. He's not a, someone who went to classical music school or anything like that. And as someone who, as, as, as you... Uh, as you asked, yes, I, I, I can orchestrate mm. um, uh, myself. I, not, I sort of look at orchestrations sort of in the same way that uh, I would look at music production in electronic dance music or just elect- electronic or electroacoustic music. I right. think the skill involved in orchestration is pretty dense, but yeah. also um, either composer doesn't orchestrate that means that they've spent probably, and, and if they're a really good composer, but they don't orchestrate, it just means that they spent more time focusing on other areas of, gotcha. yeah. of composition mm-hmm. that isn't to do with, you know, a classical orchestra. Yeah. Um, so the friend I was uh, talking to, he's uh, an unbelievably good composer and no, he doesn't orchestrate, although mm. he's starting to do that now as well. And yeah, he works with friends. He works with friends that, um, sort of help translate what he is not maybe ready to do yet uh, himself. Yeah. It's a separate his- skill set, a complementary yeah. one, but not. Yeah. Yeah. And as somebody who talks into a microphone but doesn't know how to edit for Toffee, I, yeah. I, con- I concur with this view. It's a separate yeah. skill. <laughs> well, my, my point as well with the previous track, the one that my sister sang on, I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't do what Andy Tunstall did on, yeah. on that track. Right. I, I relinquished that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I no. think it's just... Um, it becomes a collaboration as well, yeah. doesn't it? Which collaboration's, is always rewarding. Collaboration's awesome, man. Yeah. Like, people really need to... <laughs> I, I mean, no, I, people will love collaboration as well. But um, I think collaborating with other musicians, especially people that are maybe not the polar opposite to you, well, they could be, but I think just com- um, mm. working with people that will challenge you in ways that you did, or make, make you think about music, in ways that for sure you, you didn't before. I think that's really good. I think it's quite healthy. Definitely, uh, yeah. And and the reason I mentioned that about about you being somebody who can orchestrate is sure. uh, is definitely not to um, 
is to denigrate those who can't. It's just always I I always find it an impressive extra part, you know, extra string to your bow as a composer. You've oh, already very got, good, very very good. You've already good got this. Um, oh, that's true. Uh, I didn't mean it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's okay. You've already got this skill that I could only you know sort of dream of having in terms of being able to make create things that sound pretty and beautiful and scary and and emotional and whatever else, and then the ability to turn that into uh, something for, you know whether you start with a guitar and a piano and then give it to an orchestra and and give it that extra you know kind of grandiose uh, lavishness that an orchestra gives it I just find yeah it's just like I did learn a little music at school and I found it very very complicated um, I grew up in a musical family and um, like my, my granddad was a self-taught jazz pianist and my uncle was a drummer but uh, the idea of orchestrate like coming up with a tune and then orchestrating it to me is just kind of it's like it's that same level of magic that I get from playing video games it's like how do you start with nothing and make these incredible things for me so uh so yeah that's all it is really it's just uh i'm just just in admiration um but those as you say i completely agree those who don't do their own orchestrations i don't think it's in any way a um it's not a failing is it it's just a uh it's a focus it's a it's a it's just a different skill set yeah if, if someone if you put two composers in a room and one does orchestrate and one doesn't it means that the composer that doesn't orchestrate has just spent more time being better in other places that the <laughs> yeah. other composer can't do. Sure. So yeah, um, yeah, a lot of broken eggs though on mm, on mm. that journey. Either way, <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. doesn't matter whether you're going to go into hardcore electronic music production or deep orchestration. You know, it's going to take a while, and it's going to, yeah, it's going to be hard. Technical as all heck. Um, yeah, so this next one is interesting because it's from a game which is no longer going to exist. Uh, it did exist. It was a project. Uh, this is Kieru by Pinefire Studios, an Australian team. And I think one of the reasons you wanted to talk about this, as well as being a great chance to share a track that otherwise might not be heard widely because it's a cancelled game, is to talk about the, the, yeah, the pitfalls of being involved in independent game development projects. Well, I don't know. Indie video game development is the ultimate blessing and curse. Mm -hmm. Most, if not all people that I've worked with in the indie video game field have been the most phenomenal human beings. And I have to specifically call out Australia for a second because obviously, yes, of course I'm biased. But um, sure. uh, the community of uh, Australian video game developers, um, I I've basically never felt so welcome. Um, as someone who's currently living overseas mm. and then just the way that everyone is really, really supportive of, of one another, um, not just in a, a team, but then as a community, the sense of community in, in the indie video games industry. And, you know, if I if specifically in Australia, at least in my limited experience, um, it's been absolutely phenomenal. And I, I, I am genuinely happy to be working um, with indie game developers, not just in Australia, of course, but all mm. around the world, I think. There are some really, really cool people doing some very cool ideas. And one of them, which uh, the downside of indie game development is that money is always an issue. Of course. Um, and just, you know, production and, you know, things happen. Stuff happens. And stuff is a, is a fill-in for a different word, if you know what I mean. But... um. The Pinefire Studio guys, they are some of the coolest people. And it's really good when you can have a conversation with someone and 
at the same time, it just kind of feels like you're chatting a lot of stuff over some beer. So when we were working on Kieru before its uh, unfortunate, untimely uh, de- demise. Yeah. That's, man, that's so dark. It's a um, hard word. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, um, said, said it now. Sorry, guys. But um, anyway, so what I really, really enjoyed about this particular game was not just the fact that the team were perfect, essentially. Um, it's the fact that they were really open to just trying things. And it's very, very difficult, I think, at times to find someone and to convince someone to let you try things and get paid for it at the same time. Like the fact yeah. that you're doing a professional, you know, you're doing a professional project, you're, you're, you're being hired, commissioned, and yet at the same time, they sort of say, yeah, well, if you need to, if you want to try something, we're really open to that. We have no preconceptions on, on what we want to hear. We just want to hear what you want to say. That's, that's really good. That's yeah. really cool. Of course. And um, that's sort of how we started the game. So um, this particular track was just something I presented to them in um, sort of a, yeah, sort of nonchalant sort of way. And they really liked it. And yes, if the game had continued, we would have definitely uh, uh, implemented this because um, what was also really nice about this project is it was the first time I did a quite serious deep dive into middleware and programming my own interactive music. Uh, right. Up until this point, it had been slightly more either loop-based or had been taken care of by someone else. Um, so the fact that again, they would be patient and I would say, look, I'm going to basically write this track and then I'm going to deconstruct it um, and try and make it interactive, which is, you know, <laughs> that that's one way to write a piece of interactive music. It <laughs> might be recommended by some other slightly more experienced composers to say, well, why don't you think about the interactive side of things before you write it? <laughs> um, which is a very good point. Yeah, um, but might not be crazy. Th- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, this makes logical sense. should probably do that. Anyway. Um, I really enjoyed working with the with the Pinefire guys, and uh, yeah, maybe one day Kiru will resurface. Hmm. Uh, are they but, still uh, operating as a collective, or the, are they split off? I'm afraid off? not. I'm afraid not. No. Yeah. Okay. Although we're all in touch. Good. It's, okay. Yeah. All Australians know each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a big place too. Um, yeah. But everyone's yeah gathered in hubs. Um, so this is called. Uh, it never got, I guess, a finished title track four version three is that what is that what we're calling it yes yeah, you know what i think i think the pine fire people would approve of track four version three i think that's I like a, it. a perfect title
Excellent. That was track four, V3, by my guest Kevin Penkin from the You're Never Gonna Play It, the game Kieru, uh, which would have been a Windows PC game. Could have come out any point, but hasn't and won't. Uh, what are we, what was the, can we, are we allowed to know the, con- I think it's got a website. So what was the, uh, what was the concept? I think it was, it was, was this the um, quite uh, stylish looking. yes. Yeah. Um, so Ninjas? Yeah. This, I mean, the concept for the game is unbelievably cool. Um, basically, it's a monochromatic um, first person game where you play a ninja and you're either um, completely black or completely white. Yeah. And the uh, setting, so sort of like, you know, the, the map that you're fighting um, the other ninjas in um, is sort of sporadically black and white as well. So depending on where you are situated, depending on the angle in on which um, a, a different enemy or yes, a different player is looking at you, you'll either be completely blended into your ba- into your own sort of background or mm. you'll be completely exposed. Yeah, and so that as a sort that of sounds like a goer to me. That sounds like something that could oh, definitely yeah. resurface. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm. I mentioned this before. Cautious optimism. Like, I, yeah. I, I definitely think like maybe the timing wasn't right, but mm. I know that the concept is solid. I know that the team are phenomenal, and I know that the passion still is there. I mean, this this is why I I'm talking about it because yeah. I still really, really, really love uh, what we did. Uh, in the time that we were given to do it. Fab. Well, uh, any eccentric uh, millionaires or whatever who uh, who like the sound of that concept listening to this show, get in touch and uh, Kevin will put you back in touch with the coders and, uh, and we'll fund yes. this game. Yes. Uh, maybe there's a crowdfund waiting to be happen- waiting to happen. I don't know. Maybe. So track eight is uh, another one that you loved from somebody else's work. And this is a soundtrack that pops up from time to time. Again, I can't quite recall. recall. We've done 180 odd of these shows now, so I can't remember every track that we've played before. But it's it's fine if we have. It's fine if we haven't. I don't know if we have played Edge and Flight from Mirror's Edge. So, uh, again, you'd have been, I guess, 16. Did you play this contemporaneously as a... As oh, a... yes. Yeah, I played, right. I, I played the heck out of this game. Did you speed run it? Did you get, like, ninja skills at it? I was pretty ninja. Pretty yeah. ninja. Yeah, I can imagine. It was good. It was very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mirror's Edge. Um, the thing I really like about this soundtrack um, is I think it's one of sort of, I didn't know this at the time because I, I knew it was well-composed music. Like it's really, mm. it's a banging track. Um, but what I figured out sort of in hindsight is that Texturally speaking, this soundtrack is so, so in sync with the visual aesthetics of the game. Yeah. I mean, you look at how, um, how the main character is designed. You look at uh, the, the, the city building, the, uh, the color palette. You know, it's super slick, really, really slick. And even looking at sort of um, how the um, animation the blur, like for example, like when you turn your head and how blurry mm. it is and things like that, it's very, very slick. And the fact that it, it, the uh, the development team were wise enough and um, and smart enough to to commission a composer who, to my knowledge, hadn't done video game music up until that point. Um, they were commissioned as composer to either write in the way that 
uh, he wanted, or maybe he uh, sort of basically looked at the aesthetic of the game and then sort of came to the same conclusion that uh, I did, which is that a slick game, a slick looking game, a slick, mm. a slick feeling game should probably be very slick in sound as well. So the fact that the, uh, texturally this is um, so uh, in sync with, uh, with what you actually see and play, I think is um, a great achievement and is something that um, I definitely want to talk about a lot more. Basically, yeah, texture, texture I think is sort of, it's, it's sort of a, a bit of an underdog in terms of the um, totem pole of uh, musical parameters. Mm. You know, people, people listen out for a really solid melody or something like that or a rhythm, and yeah, of course, you should. But, you know, texture is, in my opinion at least, kind of what makes everything the most individual it can be. Mm. You know, if you think about the drums at the start of Billie Jean, you know, it's, <laughs> ju it's just, it's not really unique mm. in terms of rhythm, but the texture is so distinct, mm. distinctive rather, that um, you instantly know it. Mm. And it's the same with, um, you know, if you think about like the Joker note from Dark Knight or something like that, or the Inception horns, you know, like these yeah. things are synonymous with uh the um the medium that or you know the the project that they're synchronized with and i think that's really important because it's all texture and i think mirror's edge nails the texture
Edge and Flight by Solar Fields from Mirror's Edge, 2008. We covered that on the Cane and Rinse podcast many, many moons ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, uh, but seek out our back catalogue, canerinse.com. All the podcasts are there. And I can actually say on this Sound of Play that every single podcast we've ever done is also now available on Spotify. It's over 390 podcasts. Uh, I don't think this one is available on Spotify, and I think there may be copyright issues why we can't be on Spotify with Sound of Play, uh, but I'm sure we're looking into it anyway. Uh, but yeah, if you want to check out what we thought about Mirror's Edge, the panel did, uh, go and seek us out on the website or uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And remember, please do venture over to our forum, canerince.com slash forum, or you can do it on Twitter. Follow us at canerince. Use the hashtag sound of play if you want, or our Facebook page even. And you can request your favourite pieces from the history of the video games soundtrack medium. And we'll continue to include a selection in the playlist for our regular Sound of Play podcast when we don't have a composer on who gets to uh, who gets to pick the entire playlist, which uh, which is always a treat. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast if you don't already and leave us an iTunes or Apple podcast review or rating or whatever else you can do. Give us five stars or a thumbs up wherever or just tell a friend. Uh, listen to our other podcasts. I've mentioned Cane and Rinse that comes out every Monday and The Sausage Factory comes out on Fridays where we talk to the developers who make the games. Uh, I believe we have we had the Florence people on. I'm not sure if Chris has spoken to to those guys yet. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, as I say, that comes out on Fridays. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if you enjoy the show and appreciate the time and effort that goes into all the stuff that we make, you can donate a dollar a month or more through our Patreon, patreon.com slash And you get early extended podcasts and extra podcasts too. Right. So before we hear from Florence, which I think uh, many people will be familiar with because this is a highly rated uh, and recent game. Uh, I want to thank you, Kevin, so much for your time and uh, commitment to the show. Um, and I also want to give you the opportunity to plug anything uh, that you want to plug. I believe, if nothing <laughs> else, the Florence soundtrack is available to buy somewhere in various places. Do you want to plug that? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you, obviously. Um, it's really, really nice to do sort of more long form chats and sort of... Our pleasure. Yeah. And, you know, it's just nice to talk about values um uh that that you know each individual will have around around music and specifically mm. um video game music you know everyone's coming from a different background well most of the time and mm. it's it's like i really like listening to other composers talk about how they like you know what they think about things and how they how they uh, sort of approach not only maybe their writing but also just sort of the entire video game industry as a whole yeah and i think so, of all the composers we've had uh, over the years i think almost all of them have enjoyed coming on and and getting to talk for an hour about music which is uh, which is always a treat yeah and it's just really good to sort of it's really nice to talk about things that you're passionate about um so yeah thank you for having me on i really appreciate it um in terms of what is happening over the next couple of months um unfortunately there's a lot of stuff i can't talk about of course we're um, we're, we're used to that that's fine anything yes. you can though <laughs> yes yeah, so right now uh, there is a game called Necrobarista, which will be coming out. That's a good name. Um, yes, great name. Uh, great, great project. Um, that'll be coming out uh, sort of early 2019, I believe is the official statement. So um, watch out for that. If, you, if you're interested, that'll be out on PlayStation 4 and Switch and also uh, PC and Mac. 
and I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that. Yes. Um, so uh, Necrobarista, and then I'm also currently uh, in... Uh, I'm, I'm about to start work on a new Maiden Abyss project, which has been announced, uh-huh. uh, which is sort of the next story arc. Fabulous. So that's going to be crazy. And then I am 99% sure that everything else is still under lock and key. Secret. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's fine. But it's a uh, collection of anime and video games. Anime and video games. Well, hopefully uh, next time, next time you have a game out with your soundtrack, you can come back on and we'll share some more tracks. Sounds um, good. But in the meantime, we're going to hear, of course, from Florence. So I, I finally played Florence last night. I've been meaning to for a while. But, uh, of course, you know, there are always so many games. Um, but this was the perfect excuse talking to you today. And um, hearing the sound, I'd already heard some of the music from it. And uh, I, I made some assumptions about your sort of palette as a composer and your skill set based on that Uh you know, I think it's an absolutely delightful soundtrack, but my assumption was based on it that that was your wheelhouse. But actually having heard a lot of your other tracks now, it sounds like this was perhaps more outside what you normally do. Uh, this sort of introspective, poignant, uh, whimsical, almost uh, romantic, sad, This the, and, and this particular uh, sort of set of instruments. You got a collective of five musicians who are all credited uh, at the end of the game, which I thought was great. Um, so yeah, tell tell us about doing Florence. For sure. Um Yeah, on your point about um sort of what, you know, the style is or, you know, what I do maybe on a regular day. Um mm. I did a uh, a talk for my performing rights organization last year, APRA, which is mm. the uh, Australian Performing Rights Association. And in the sort of in the preparation for this talk, I basically had to try and clarify my process into words, and it's a lot easier to not do that. But um, <laughs> if you if you need to talk, you need to use words. So, what I wanted to do was try and figure out exactly how I write and how I get to the results that I do. And what I found out is that if I took, um, for example, the anime Made in Abyss, which is a um, sort of very dense electroacoustic contemporary score. Mm. And then we take Florence, which is sort of like a bit more folksy, intimate, and um, is sort of smaller, um, both in um, number of musicians used and also scale, um, sort of the amount of music. I actually figured out that they kind of derive from the same sort of equation, mathematical equation, if you will. Huh. Um, right. Which is that, as I was talking about before with Mirror's Edge and how I felt like texturally that soundtrack was really well fitted to the uh, to the visual aesthetic and gameplay aesthetic. Yeah. That approach, I sort of basically look, I realized that I look into a game's aesthetic a lot more than I thought I did. So yes, of course, story is ultimately important and you know arguably the most important but what i found really interesting was that i was getting a lot of my sort of musical information sort of my musical parameters from um the visuals and so for example made in abyss is a very small um cast of characters but it the the setting is this giant cave system 
Yeah. So you've got a lot of um, a lot of foreground and a lot of background and very little middle ground. So it, it's it's very very huge, um, very very expansive. So when I went to Vienna, I specifically wanted to record a small chamber group of instruments in a space recording space that was designed for essentially about 120 people ah okay so we had 19 people 19 people in a uh recording space that was designed for what like four or five times that i did think that looking at that video i was thinking that's yeah. is that normal <laughs> no <laughs> no right. um but what was really interesting is that we because the studio was that good um, we could record all the ambient space. And so we could play with that. We could play with uh, microphone positions uh, to mm. um, to accent certain textures and things like that. But, you know, that's just one example. The reason I'm talking about it is for Florence, it, um, the process was um, actually exactly the same, which was, okay, it's a very small, very intimate game. If you look at the art style, it's sort of slightly comic book-esque or there's a very specific color palette. Made in the Abyss was very collagey, very Studio Ghibli esque. Well, that's because the uh, the um, the art direct, the background director, actually worked uh, as the background art director on Ponyo as well. Wow! Yeah, great. Yeah, amazing, amazing talent. Yeah, um, really, really nice guy as well, which is great. Um, anyway, so looking at the color palette for Florence, um, looking at how intimate um, the game was, and also the fact that the game was physically uh, located in melbourne uh, you know the settings in melbourne and also the team who developed florence are in melbourne as well so it made a lot of sense to sort of use those parameters uh to make the soundtrack okay so it's gonna be a bunch of musicians in a small room and i really wanted to record this in australia as well so this was recorded about 15 minutes from where i grew up in a studio in the middle of an Australian summer with some friends that I went to school with or that taught me at school actually as well. So basically the point being that, yeah, style can change or maybe, yeah, there can be different stylistic options available to you. But yeah. um, at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to, well, at least for me and the way that I'm currently looking at writing music, I just sort of quite genuinely enjoy looking at a game and deriving parameters from that and then creating that context and then kind of distorting it at my leisure. So uh, I noticed that uh, the credits say that you recorded at, uh, is it Villanova Music? Where's, Villanova, where's yeah. Villanova. Villanova. Yes, yeah, so that's the studio that's like 15 minutes from where I grew up. Oh, uh, okay, right. And yeah. uh, and you worked, so uh, the, the five musicians credited, Noel, Sophie, Rachel, Diane and Philip, they all yeah. local as well? Yes. Um, so uh, Noel is a really good friend of mine. Um, and what's really good about Noel is that I know that, you know, when I'm in town, I can go over, bring a couple of bo bottles of wine and explain something to her, like a project and be like, hey, mm -hmm. so are you keen on this? And she was like, yeah, it's great. Sounds good. Um, Sophie is an unbelievable cellist, mm -hmm. like insanely good. She just played uh, on Necro Barista as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, we just finished those recordings. So again, just and of course because Chris in the game is a cellist, she's kind of at the forefront. Uh, exactly. In, in yeah. That respect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um. Obviously, Ken was very clear from the start that you know that there's a piano for Florence and there's a cello for Chris. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Which, which makes perfect sense. 
Ken's really good at direction as well, which really helps. So if I'm ever lost, I just ask him questions until I have my answers. But um, yeah, so Rachel, who I've worked with uh, a bit as well um, on violin, and Diane actually taught me flute. Um, the uh, the flautist in Florence, she she was my uh, flute teacher when I was like ten. Um, except uh, I wasn't that good of a student because her son, who was probably my age, was playing Wind Waker like next door, and I was a lot more interested in that than actually learning. So uh, that was kind of interesting to um, to, mm. to have that come full circle. It's like, yeah, well, we're doing video game music now, aren't we? Um, yeah. And then uh, finally, Phil Everall, uh, who I've known for years uh, on clarinet. So yeah, just a great group of keen, nice, wonderful musicians. And all they had to do was sit in the studio, which we couldn't put the air conditioning on because it would bugger the sound in 35 degree heat. Oh, okay. Yeah, just casually. Well, it has a warmth to it. Um, again, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah, it comes across. And um, I mean, yes, the the game is is a real. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's a, a less than an hour long kind of interactive piece. There are game elements, but um, the thing that struck me is how I don't know the average age of of the the team who worked on it, but as a uh, a forty six year old person who's been through kind of similar situations to to what Florence goes through in that game on a number of occasions uh it seemed incredibly well observed for for what I assume is quite a young team like um like the people the people behind that game have obviously been through that that yes. sequence at least once yes. <laughs> each between them or something oh yes yeah. yes um well it helps that they are all ridiculously talented yeah um so what I really like about Studio Mountains is that they're constantly kind of trying to find a new way of thinking about things, mm. which, um, you know, selfishly speaking for a second as a composer, I really like, because mm. that means that I get to sort of try and provoke a little bit. Right. Um, so, yeah, when we started doing Florence, we didn't... I, I can't speak for the team, but I knew that mm. I didn't really fully appreciate at the time what it was going to become. Yeah. Um, not not in the way that I was describing before in terms of impact, social impact, mm. but uh, emotional impact. And and I was kind of kind of shocked how I was I was also going to have to dig deep a little bit. Mm. Uh, because yeah, I mean, as you sort of said, um, you know, it's a it's a young team, um. But, you know, everyone's had one, at least one crappy breakup, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Like, at yeah. least by, like, mid-20s, I reckon. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I'm not going to generalize too much. But, you know. Yeah, it's common. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, so yeah. I, I can definitely. It's um, a common experience. I can definitely, um, yeah. I can, I, I definitely knew how to, um, well, yeah, I, I knew that I would channel that a little bit. I didn't yeah. realize how much at mm. times, but mm. hey. Um, it was fulfilling. It was very, Cathartic. very fulfilling. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it worked out a couple of things. Uh, yeah, it's strange. Even though obviously this is a, you know, you're doing soundtrack music, and uh, obviously there is a a business and a commercial, um, sort of enterprise behind that. Mm. Um, I've always found uh, a lot of the music that I write for projects, even if it's not, you know, even though it's not my own personal project. I always seem to somehow 
you know work out some some emotions in, in some tracks yeah. like yeah, yeah yeah some of them in here and then uh, there are other tracks in in some other soundtracks where i'm like yeah i was just basically flipping the bird to to someone who i didn't like in that track but mm. you know what mm. that's great i, I yeah. did it in a relatively healthy way and i got paid for it which is great <laughs> awesome yeah that's a it's a double whammy yes all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll close the show then with uh, your piece, music from uh, Florence. I was going to ask you actually how much because the the game is uh, short by video game standards. Although, absolutely, uh, I, yeah, thoroughly recommend anyone listening to this plays it pays the the three quid or five dollars or whatever it is and and goes plays through the the forty five minutes or, or however long it is. But is there is there pretty much is it like half an hour's worth of music or is it almost is it forty minutes or how is it less than that? And so it was hard to tell actually playing it. For sure, um, in the game it's slightly different. We did do some ex- uh, extended uh, sections for the soundtrack, and that's uh-huh. just because we wanted to make sure the soundtrack was, um, you know. We wanted to give the listener as much as possible, but obviously, right. So you know, if you buy did, the we, OST, you actually get a bit. You get a bit more. Yes. Ah. Uh, yes. Well, um, there you go. because uh, you know, you don't want to overload the listener with music in the game because that's mm-hmm. not the point. It's there to you know do its thing. But um, when it comes to the soundtrack, you've got a little bit more free reign and thinking about it as an album, a musical album, not a um, yeah, not a, not a not interactive music. It's a different process, and so mm. it made a lot of sense for us to just take a couple more hours in the studio and just record a few final sections, just to make sure that it, you know it felt like it was a complete piece of music. Ties uh, off the bow, kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, how long's the the version that can people people can buy, it and where can they buy it? Why not plug? Well, um, Florence, the the soundtrack is currently on Spotify. It is on iTunes, and it's yeah, it's coming in about forty two minutes. Uh, which is pretty good. It's like an and, album. Yes, yes. And, it's kind of um, the length of the game, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, there are a few developments that I can't talk about yet okay. regarding the soundtrack, but okay. um, yeah, I, I'm very happy with, with how the soundtrack's um, sort of come out and, and where it's going as well. Um, so yeah, uh, if if you are keen, it's on Spotify or iTunes. And uh, yeah, just um, if you do want to, yeah, yeah, let me know if uh, you want I'm on Twitter if you need to know anything more about the soundtrack. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for sharing your time with us. And we'll uh, leave you with this music by Kevin Penkin. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. Thank you very much. Thank mm-hmm. you.